Good morning. Thanks for the prayer, John. Um, if I haven't met you yet, my name's Sam, and I'm going to be taking us through the second sermon in this series that we're doing uh, called Imperfect Fit, which is about this church and how we're made up of many varied and messy different parts, but together we combine to be exactly what God wants and exactly what God uses in Alice Springs. So last week, David Blackman was talking about how we've got a whole lot of diversity and what the blessing, well, what, the, what a blessing that is uh, for this congregation and how that helps us reach out into Alice Springs. And today, we're going to be looking at our responsibility to respond as a church when needs arise. And we're going to be using the story of David and Goliath, quite a well-known story, uh, as, as an example of something we can look to uh, and learn from. Um, so we're going to read the first parts of that, but before we do that, uh, let's quickly pray. Heavenly Father, we ask for your spirit to be at work in our hearts right now, giving us understanding and confronting us and teaching us as you want. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So from 1 Samuel chapter 17, if you want to flick along to it um, in your Bibles or on your phone, uh, we're going to be reading the first half of it and then we'll get to the rest of it uh, later. 1 Samuel 17. Now the Philistines gathered their forces for war and assembled at Soko in Judah. They pitched camp at Ephes Damon between Soko and Azekah. Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the valley of Elah and drew up their battle line to meet the Philistines. The Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites another with the valley between them. A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits and a span. He had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armour of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. On his legs he wore bronze greaves and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod and its iron point weighed 600 shekels. His shield bearer went ahead of him. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he's able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you'll become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistine said, This day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Now David was the son of an Ephrathite named Jesse, who was from Bethlehem in Judah. Jesse had eight sons, and in Saul's time he was very old. Jesse's three older sons had followed Saul to the war. The firstborn was Elab, the second Abinadab, and the third Shammah. David was the youngest. The three oldest followed Saul, but David went back and forth from Saul to tend his father's sheep at Bethlehem. For 40 days, the Philistine came forward every morning and evening and took his stand. Now Jesse said to his son David, Take this ephah of roasted grain and these 10 loaves of bread for your brothers and hurry to their camp. Take, take along these 10 cheeses to the commander of their unit. See how your brothers are being, see how your brothers are and bring back some assurance from them. They were with Saul and all the men of Israel in the valley of Elah, fighting against the Philistines. 
Early the next morning, David left the flock in the care of a shepherd, loaded up and set out as Jesse had directed. He reached the camp as the army was going out to its battle positions, shouting the war cry. Israel and the Philistines were drawing up their lines facing each other. David left his things with the keeper of supplies, ran to the battle lines and asked his brothers how they were. As he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance, and David heard it. Whenever the Israelites saw the man, they all fled from him in great fear. Now, the Israelites had been saying, do you see how this man keeps coming out? He comes out to defy Israel. The king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. He'll also give him his daughter in marriage and will exempt his family from taxes in Israel. David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? They repeated to him what they had been saying and told him, this is what will be done to the man who kills him. When Elab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him and asked, why have you come down here and with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. Now what have I done, said David? Can't I even speak? He then turned away to someone else and brought up the same matter. And the men answered him as before. What David said was overheard and reported to Saul, and Saul sent for him. David said to Saul, Let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Now, it's quite a famous story, and we're going to get to what happens next. And it's the, the story of David and Goliath is one that has entered popular vocabulary. Uh, it's something that even people without a church background throw around. It's something that's applied to any sort of small person, individual taking on a big corporation, or it could be in a big sporting upset if, upset if there's a, a small person that defeats a bigger team. Um, it's a David and Goliath story. And if you've been raised in the church, there's a chance you've also heard it in a different way. Uh, we sometimes hear the story of David and Goliath as being something of, a, of an allegory for a guide for us as how we can overcome difficulties in our lives. David is us and Goliath is some obstacle in our life that we need to overcome. And sometimes that allegory is taken to another level in the church. It can be uh, David is, well, we're David and we need these five stones of faith, courage and love or whatever they are and we add all and insert all these parts into the story that aren't there. And what we're doing when we treat this story like that is that we're making us the heroes of the story. And it, it shows a bit of a, a flawed understanding of how to use the Bible and what the Bible is actually about. Because the risk is we're making the Bible about ourselves and a, a guideline, a checklist for us to how we can overcome difficulties in our own lives and how we can tick off goals and, and reach our objectives. But the Bible is, it does have a lot of good things to say about how to live and what to do, but it's not just a list of thing, good things to do. Uh, it's not just a, a list of things to do for us to help us reach our goals. Um, one of 
the, the dangers of teaching the Old Testament, particularly with children, is that we treat it as just this is a list of things for us to do and this is how you do it. And it becomes what's called moralizing. So we can say things like, be patient like Joseph or be obedient like Abraham or be shrewd like Rahab or even be courageous like David. And that's a flawed approach to the Old Testament. Well, I was raised in the church as well and got exposed to this TV show that some people might have uh, seen here called Veggie Tales, which is a, a kid show which often uses Old Testament uh, stories, narratives, to teach us something about the Bible. Now, the guy that created it is this guy called Phil Vischer, and uh, he reflected on his uh, time preparing Veggie Tales or writing it um, after a few years, and this is what he said. As I reflected back, I realized that I had spent 10 years trying to convince kids to behave Christianly without actually teaching them Christianity. And it was a pretty serious conviction. You can say, hey kids, be more forgiving because the Bible says so. Or, hey kids, be more kind because the Bible says so. But that isn't Christianity, it's morality. And the flaw with this approach is that it's making us the center. And that's not what the Bible's about. We're missing the point. Across every single story, every single part of the Bible, God is the hero. It's about Him. He's the hero, He's the saviour, He's the one who has the victory. And these Old Testament characters like David, uh, they're without exception flawed and sinful people. And that's the same as us. We're flawed, sinful people who failed to meet up God's standards of perfection that He requires of us. And we're facing an enemy, a lot like David. We're facing this enemy of sin and evil in the world. Uh, and that's what, what we're facing. And we often, in our lives, are seeing sin and evil win. We see it in our personal lives when we give in to sin, uh, when we give in to selfishness or anger or lust or whatever it is. And we see it on a bigger scale when you just even look around Alice Springs and you see the injustice and the disadvantage that's going on around here. We see the enemy, we see evil winning. So why are we doing that? Why is evil and sin so prevalent? Well, first reason is because of who we are. We are weak and fearful individuals. The thing with this story of David, we've seen that we're not the hero, it's not about us, and that the Bible isn't about us. But we have this instinct still to try and force ourselves into the narrative. And if we're going to be completely honest, the most realistic person that we probably are in this story are the Israelite soldiers. Verses 23 and 24, it says, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance. And David heard it. Whenever the Israelites saw the man, they all fled from him in great fear. And realistically, that's who we are. We're the ones that flee in fear. And that's probably the default of most humans. We run in fear and let evil do as it pleases. We've got Goliath and all evil standing in opposition to God um, and anything that's good. And we're weak and powerless in front of it. And it's easy for us to, to have a laugh at these soldiers to be like, why are they so scared? But they're being quite rational. They're just small, ordinary sized, probably don't have very fancy armor, 
uh, probably aren't immense warriors, and they're facing a literal giant with this, all this armor, this giant javelin, this sh sword, shield, spear. They've got no chance against him. And they're actually probably having a rational response by being fearful and, and staying behind their lines, not confronting him. And that's what we might be doing. We might be looking at our own physical, mental, or spiritual abilities, looking at our past and when we've given in to sin and when we've failed and concluded we've got no chance. We give in, we let evil win. So what can we do in the face of evil, in the face of injustice? Well, society has some suggestions for us. Society might say, believe in yourself. Is that going to work? Well, we've seen and heard how weak we are. Obviously not. What about find your inner strength? That's something that might get thrown around and society might tell us, but also it's going to fail. Or find meaning within your heart. Search for that within yourself. Also, we know how flawed and sinful we are. None of those are going to work. Society doesn't have the answer. So what we might do is just choose to be like the soldiers, to hide behind safe lines and not engage at all. And let evil keep winning. But we can see there's an obvious evil. There's an evil that needs to be confronted and God isn't going to just leave it there. Maybe we want to just hide and from a purely human perspective, maybe that's the wise and smart thing to do. But praise God that there's more to this world than just human flesh and blood. Um, because what does God do about it? God has the ultimate victory. So with David, he is, isn't someone who just listens, or he doesn't have any hype man around him. Um, when he goes and chats to his brothers and the other soldiers, no one's telling him, maybe you should try go fight Goliath. Uh, in fact, he, instead of having someone encouraging him to do it, he has the complete opposite. He has the king of Israel, his own king, King Saul, discouraging him, telling him not to go. So continuing with the story from verse 33, Saul replied, you're not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You're only a young man and he's been a warrior from his youth. So instead of having a, a hype man telling him, you got this, bro, you can smash him, you, you know, you've been training this your whole life, he has the king come up to him and say, no, you can't do this, mate. David, though, doesn't choose to listen to the king. He's listening to God. And this is what he says to Saul. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine, that's Goliath, will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. David's clear from the outset. It's not based on his own strength that he's going to have this victory. It's based on what he's seen God do. It's not based on his stoicism or his rise and grind mindset or his cold showers or whatever discipline he's going through. No, it's based on what he's seen God do in the past in rescuing him. Rescue him from the lion, rescue him from the bear, and he knows God's going to rescue him again from this giant. But Saul isn't still quite happy with that. Saul's like, okay, I might let you go, but I'm going to try and give you the most high-tech weaponry and equipment that we've got. So King Saul, 
uh, in verse 36. Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I'm not used to them. So he took them off. Then he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with his sling in his hand, approached the Philistine. He doesn't want to go against David with great armor or a huge sword because he knows that he's not going to win this fight on human strength because just based on sizes, he's going to lose that every single day. He knows that the only way he's going to win is in God's strength. And the tool that he's going to be using for that is just this small sling and five stones. And when Goliath sees David approaching, it's probably quite laughable. It's a bit of a joke to him. And this is what happens from verse 36. Meanwhile, the the Philistine, that's Goliath, with his shield bearer in front of him, kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give you flesh to the birds and the wild animals. And it is quite laughable if he just looks at the physical size. Like maybe David is a little bit healthy and handsome, but that's not going to win him a a battle. And he he tells him, just come here and I'm going to smash you. But how does David respond? David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I'll give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by the sword or spear that the Lord saves. For the battle is the Lord's and he will give all of you into our hands. It's, it's a little bit bloodthirsty but it shows David's mindset. It shows what David's relying on. He does have his slingshot and stones, but that's not what he's relying on because he knows how flimsy those weapons are. He's relying on the living God. He's relying on the Lord Almighty. God will hand over Goliath for the victory. And he obviously knows that because he's been listening to God's voice, not to Saul's voice, not to the other soldiers, not even to Goliath's voice. He's only been listening to God's voice. He knows that he's following the living God. He knows that Goliath has defied God, has come against God. And even though it it might appear as though this is David, this small guy with the slingshot and stones versus this giant, it's actually Goliath versus the living God, the creator, the king, the ruler who holds all things together. And in that fight, there's always only going to be one winner. And that's why David is stepping out like this. He knows it's not in his strength, it's in God's strength. And that's why he doesn't have to fear. Uh, When John was reading to us just before from Psalm 23, uh, it says in, in verse 4, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, of fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. He doesn't have a need to fear because God's there 
and it's God's strength that he's going out in, and so he doesn't. Uh, as the Philistine, that's Goliath, moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone, the stone sank into his forehead and he fell face down on the ground. So he defeats Goliath like that. And it's not just David that gets to cash in on this victory. Then all Israel joins in. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. David ran and stood over him. He took hold of the Philistine's sword and drew it from the sheath. After he killed him, he cut off his head with the sword. When the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they turned and ran. But the men of Israel and Judah surged forward with a shout and pursued the Philistines to the entrance of Gath and to the gates of Ekron. Their dead were strewn along the Sharaim road to Gath and Ekron. When the Israelites returned from chasing the Philistines, they plundered their camp. So again, a bit bloodthirsty, but we see the outcome of this here. David defeats Goliath. But if we actually look at what actually happened behind that, we see God defeated Goliath. God, using David, defeated Goliath. And then God, using David and the rest of the Israelite army, defeats the Philistines. God is the one who actually has the victory, and he's using this weak, small, young David to bring about that victory. And that's how God shows and that's how God operates in his victories. God doesn't operate the same way that humans do. He doesn't use human power or strength or might or military technology. He uses weakness. In uh, the Apostle Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, uh, he's talking about this chronic illness that he's had, uh, this sickness that he's had that's been long-standing. And in chapter 12, verses 9 to 10, he, he's talking about what something God says to him. He says, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I'll boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. God's victories are found using weak instruments, using weak individuals, because that's how God shows his strength and shows that it's actually him who has the victory. So this is what we've seen. We've seen that we are weak and fearful individuals, and we've seen that God is the one who actually has any victories. But what's the point then? Why should we even bother getting involved if God's going to have his victory anyway uh, and it's God's power versus evil? What, what part do we have to play in that? Our third point, God uses us for his victories. So how can evil be defeated? Evil can only be defeated in the name of the Lord Almighty, not based on human strength. We've seen that the hero of the Bible is God. He's the creator, the sustainer, the king, the saviour, the ruler, the rescuer. And we can't overcome evil without him. But he doesn't just leave us in the dark. He uses us. 
David had a willingness to be used by God and God used him. He had an openness to it. And that's what led him to being used as the solution to defeat Goliath and defeat the Philistines. David saw there was a need and God used him as the solution. And that's the same for us. When we see needs arise, God can use us and we have a responsibility to allow God to use us to be part of the solution. So how can we respond? Well, there's a, there's a few different ways that we can respond to uh, allow God to have the victory. Uh, firstly, on a small scale, in our personal lives. In our personal lives, we have this ongoing battle with sin and we can only ever have victory in the name of the Lord. Fighting against our own evil nature and our own impulses will never be successful without God because otherwise it's going to be based on our own efforts which are weak, flimsy and or they'll be founded on something that is going to fail us in the future. We can only defeat sin through God. And praise the Lord that sin has already been defeated. God sent Jesus, who has defeated sin on the cross, uh, and sin's already been conquered, and he's already killed it in our lives. Um, So through our faith in Jesus, our trust in him, sin has been conquered. So it's not up to us to be killing the sin, it's looking to Jesus who's killed it for us. That's on our personal Uh, level and our day-to-day lives but on on a broader level there's also evil going on in the world and I think it's quite obvious as well to see in Alice Springs where we have a lot of social disadvantage some of the outcomes of of human evil you can see homelessness unfed people disadvantage everywhere Um, and one of the great advantages of living in Alice Springs is that we can respond in our professional lives Uh, even looking around this church right now we've got a lot of diversity in how we help respond to the needs in Alice Springs we've got Bible translators we've got healthcare providers a lot of them we've got social workers teachers disability supports foster parents many other things Um, and these are professions that don't just come to Alice Springs to get cashed up but they come here because there's a need and we need to respond to it uh, and it's, it's obvious at all levels. So I want to encourage those of you who are working in that capacity against that wider injustice, that wider disadvantage, that wider evil, don't be working in your own strength. The social deprivation and evil that we're looking at can't just be overcome by us trying. It actually needs a supernatural intervention. It needs God's strength. Some of us might be battling in our own strength and relying on ourselves, but remember it's only in the name of the Lord that we can have victory. So be encouraged to know that it's God that strengthens you. And it might not be sudden, dramatic victory like what David had. It might be slow, repetitive change, which, which brings about change uh, for, for many and for uh, across Alice Springs. Um, but I get that that's quite an easy thing to say. Uh, it's quite easy to say, trust God and he'll give you strength. But how does he do that? How do we actually look to God to give him strength, to, to rely on his strength? Uh, and that, would be, that could be the subject of another 100,000 sermons, to be honest. But some quick thoughts, how God strengthens us to be overcoming evil in our personal lives and in the wider society. Um, we can be prayerfully seeking God's strength. 
So when there's people that are difficult to love or uh, you know, families or people or whatever it is in our lives that we're really struggling to care for, we can ask God and he will give us his, his infinite bountiful supplies of love that we have this ability to do it too. Um, there's a lot of things that God gives us that we simply couldn't get on our own. The Bible talks about how we need to ask for wisdom and then God will give it to us. Um, and then last week, David was talking about the fruit of the Spirit, all those uh, abstract nouns which are really hard to translate from English or from Western languages into Australian languages because uh, they, they often require a concrete example. And to be honest, that's probably the point. Uh, we need real experiences, real circumstances to apply God's supernatural enabling. So we need, if we ask God for the strength to love someone, he's going to throw us a scenario where there's going to be someone that's really hard to love and that's when God will give us the ability to do that. If we ask God for wisdom, he's going to give us a difficult situation where we need to make a wise choice and we're going to have to rely on God's wisdom. Um, so it's, it's encouraging that we're, that's when God's strength comes, when it arises, but it's also going to come in difficult scenarios. Um, so be encouraged though. A, a lot of people come to Alice Springs uh, because God's given them a particular skill set and ability to help people. So don't forget what brought you here and don't get distracted from that. Uh, thirdly, something for all of us, God uses us for his victories in evangelism. I don't want to just limit this to personal and social issues because we are fighting a spiritual battle. There's a whole kingdom of darkness out there, people who don't know Jesus, who aren't saved. So be encouraged to know that it's God who gives us the ability. It's his spirit that speaks through us uh, when we're telling people about Jesus, when we're pointing people to him. Um, so don't forget that. Uh, we have God strengthening us. He's strengthening us to tell us to tell others where freedom is found, where eternal life is. Uh, we know the source of salvation that we're found in Jesus. So be encouraged to share that with other people and God will use us for his victories. And then uh, finally, there's some of us here today who might need encouragement to stop cowering behind lines to actually get engaged in the battle. We might be uh, scared and withdrawn because we've evils won in the past or we've just become complacent or even jaded because we've been in Alice Springs too long. But there's a spiritual battle that's taking place and it isn't just flesh and blood that, that's involved. We're called to be, to be involved. God has given us these responsibilities and these abilities and he wants to use us and it's him who will strengthen us. And in, in verse uh, 37 of the passage that we just looked at, David is talking to Saul and he talks about how God has, keeps rescuing him, rescuing him in his life. He talks about how he gets rescued from the bear, how he gets rescued from the lion. And then a few verses later, he goes and fights Goliath and he gets rescued again from Goliath. So whatever it is, whenever we're putting ourselves out there, whatever the difficulty is, God's going to rescue us when we're relying on his strength. Because God's the hero, not us. He's the one who rescues us. It's not based on our own strength and our own abilities. So we're, we've seen that we're a diverse church, a lot of variety, a lot of skill, skill sets, a lot of context, a lot of interests that are different amongst us. Um, 
and individually we're weak and frail and fallen human beings. But God, the true hero of the Bible, is going to use us for his purposes and for his victories. So let's thank him and let's pray to him now. Heavenly Father, we acknowledge that we're weak and frail humans and that we often get distracted and just focus on our own abilities and our own strengths and get overwhelmed by evil, by sin in our own lives and by the wider injustices around us. Lord, we know that you're a loving God and that uh, you use us and that it's you who give who gives strength and it's you who has the victory. It's you who choose who wins and loses or what happens across the whole course of history. So, Lord, we entrust ourselves to your strength and we ask that you would use us, that you would use us as you please and that you would use us for your victories and that you'd be removing our own egos from that and that we'd be submitting to you. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.